When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Tony Football Show. Today, FA Cup from Manchester to Maidstone. Around the brought the biggest against the old result in almost half a century as Anthony scores a goal. We'll report on that and Man City getting one too at Spurs and the miracle of Maidstone. Sixth tier in the fifth round. Plus, Klopp stop. Who, why, how, what will get stuck into the new succession drama and the toughest shoes to fill in football in this Totally Football Show. Monday, 29th of January. Thank you so much for joining us, listener. We've got with us today Daniel Story from The Eye. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Good morning to you. Tim Spears is here from The Athletic. Hi, James. And it's a big welcome back to Luis Miguel Echegaray from ESPN. Jimbo! Woo! Wow. What a great day to have such a great team assemble because it's been a significant weekend, eh? I mean, you went to the Hawthorns, Tim. Yeah, I had, I had, Raw the, I had the most significant weekend of, of my personal season. Did you? But I don't think that's what you're referring to. No, I mean, I'm referring to all of it because you had the West Brom Wolves game. You had Maidstone, you had Klopp, we'll get on to that later. James Pierce will be, uh, will be on the line to give us a little in, insight, hopefully, into the, uh, the club's thinking going forward and that. But hey, yeah, that, that, West, that West Brom Wolves game, what was that like there at uh, Hawthorns? Uh, sort of difficult to get your head around because, uh, you know, I've never seen anything like that at a football stadium. So what did before. you see? Right, right, police storming the pitch while the game was sort sort of still going on, um, <laughs> and trouble happening at, at, at all ends of all areas of the stadium. It felt out of control for five or ten minutes. It looked impossible that the game was was going to finish. Right, it wasn't just a couple of troublemakers here. There were dozens and dozens of people trying to get on the pitch and cause harm to others. I've got to say, you know, the, I thought the police did a fantastic job of keeping it calm and ultimately getting the game finished in what was a very eerie atmosphere this all the trouble began quite late on in the game yeah i mean it had been brewing i mean so the police asked that this game kick off at 11 45 mm. in the morning uh to try and stop this um but of course you know you're never going to stop idiots uh getting drunk and want to cause trouble so I, th- I think someone was telling me a lot of the pubs in wolverhampton just opened at 5 a.m instead of seriously instead of 7 a.m wow. so you know and y- you could just tell from some of the behavior of, of some people that they were absolutely out of their heads you know so, yeah, it, it had been brewing all afternoon. There had been things thrown at players and, you know, the fans were spitting at each other before kickoff, and it's just... It's, it's, it's a nasty derby, James, why, really. Why is it so nasty? Does Villa have the same kind of issues on the occasion? Oh, yeah, they? we were actually playing... Villa fans were playing a drinking game to see when, at what point during the game will they say, you know, SH on the Villa during that game. It's a, it's, it can be contentious, for sure. I've been to a few Villa-West Brom games. I've never seen Villa... Wolves or the other way around. But yes, just like Tim says, it, it's it's definitely one of those rivalries, the trifecta of, of anger within the West Midlands for sure. All right. Wow. 
Anyway, the game did get finished and Wolves got their first win at yeah. West Brom in a long time. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's it. It took, took sort of took the shine off it, you mm. know, completely. Um, like I said, the last sort of 12 minutes of the game, plus the two minutes of stoppage time they added on just to get the game done. Uh, it was played like a, like a pre-season friendly type atmosphere, really. I think everyone was just like... What was all that about? Like, what was all that about? You know, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, uh, first win for Wolves at the Hawthorne since 1996. Ooh. So it's been a long time coming. Indeed so. I think that's a point to remember as well. Obviously, we can get into the violence side and how horrific mm. it was. And fair play to the referee, by the way, who told the coaches, look, I think we need to get the players off the pitch in order to calm things down, which I think was a good move. But I mean, Pedro Neto, just what an unbelievable player. 10 involvement goals now and he's been injured for so long and Cunha as well I thought I thought it's been tremendous from Gary Niels Wolves uh, so far given given the you know the magnitude of the game as well absolutely all right well plenty happening in the fourth round you had Jurgen Klopp's first game since uh, Friday's dramatic announcement and a 5-2 win for Liverpool against Norwich he had a, a scare for Manchester United and that long way to go for Anthony in their 4-2 win against Newport County Daniel was there. Man City finally winning at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, big victories for Bournemouth and Leicester. And at Portman Road, the biggest FA Cup upset in almost half a century. Ipswich 1, Maidstone 2. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's dropped out of possession. Reynolds has it and he's got Corn breaking down the middle. Sam Corn is in on goal here. Just incredible! Maidstone have done it again! Sam Korn has done it again! Three rounds in a row! Stones go rolling on. A Daniel story, sixth tier Maidstone, the first team from outside the top five tiers to reach the last 16 since Blythe Spartans back in 77-78. Wow! Yeah, and and... I mean, look, it was a, uh, it it had all the ingredients of that kind of, you know, I know we sort of talk about cliched magic, but when you watch Ipswich have 38 shots and Maidstone have two and score them both and win 2-1, you are sort of invested in, I could watch stoppage time for 45 minutes and Ipswich are just not going to score. The key, the goalkeeper kind of made some really good saves, but he didn't, there was nothing miraculous about the saves. It was just sort of bodies on the line. There was that incredible goalmouth scramble where, he sort of dives on the ball after in between about four players' legs. And it was like, yeah, even at that point, you think, yeah, I know what happens here. I've seen it. And Ipswich, Ipswich fans, Ipswich players, Kieran McKenna, all seemed to kind of fall into that trap of, oh, we know how this goes. We can see that this is all horribly weighted against us. But an extraordinary achievement for Maidstone. I think it's interesting in the, the age of you know elite club money uh, and massive inequalities that these stories are actually more commonplace than they ever were. We had Lincoln getting to the quarterfinals from non-league not that long ago. I think it speaks to the sort of rise of professionalism of those teams directly below the EFL and, and the, the narrowing gap between sixth tier and fourth tier. And, you know, Maidstone, I went to see them uh, before their third round game thinking this is a nice story to cover. And then obviously I went two rounds too early at least. But you know they are a semi-professional club, but they train in the mornings rather than the evenings. Uh, they pay players a reasonable salary to to maintain that professionalism. They don't think this is luck. They clearly had barrel loads of it on Saturday lunchtime, but they they genuinely do believe. And and in the manager George Elakoba, they have a man who every time he speaks, you kind of in, 
further invested in them achieving everything they want to because he's such an inspirational figure. Absolutely. Uh, viewers on our YouTube channel will have just seen your cat's tail making an uh, appearance. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the door behind you swung, swung open as the cat. He's a we Maidstone were, fan. Yeah, possibly. So, yeah. <laughs> You've got, uh, let's have some uh, top uh, George Elokobi facts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I wanted to piggyback from what you said, Dan, because Elokobi is the story here as well. An immigrant from Cameroon at 16 years old started his playing career at Dulwich Hamlet, obviously a Wolves cult hero and this is his first managerial job it's amazing and and the fact that you know he goes speaks to the fans before kickoff mm. and then speaks after them he's just such a good story it's ted lasso-esque and, and funnily enough no go on ted lasso during the seasons obviously needs uh some choreographed matches uh, as afc richmond play during the championship of the premier league and they obviously need former professional players or players that can do the business and, and, and be the opponent mm -hmm. in these scenes. Yeah. Elokobi is one of them. He's one of them. Yes. All right. Are yeah. there any other former kind of Premier League stars who are in there? Jay Bothroyd, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'll try and remember some others, but uh, Elokobi, you know, just for the purpose of this narrative, is, is right. one of them as well. Of course, Sir Lewis, you're one of those figures <laughs> who straddles the divide between football and, and film. Yes, from, yes. From uh, your... Your movie debut, zombie, zombie, vampire kill, zombie Vampire Killers. I wish it was Zombie Vampire Killers. You know very well, James Richardson, that it's Mutant Chronicles. Mutant Chronicles. <laughs> but in Italy, it was released as Zombie, zombie uh, at the At the killers. back of the DVD store, the oh, only one left oh, in Italy. Oh. Um, Daniel, you've had a big season for following underdog stories, you know, heading off to the Pharaohs to do Key, Klaxvik and, and that. Maidstone, having been down there, etc., how enormous is what they're doing? Well, it's huge in terms of establishing a sustainable future. Maidstone have managed, you know, their story is one of Football League extinction because of bankruptcy and mismanagement and um, a kind of long, long road back, both to having their own ground and to having owners in place who um, experienced those times. One of them was a, was a fan, was a season to colder at that time. And they've just seemingly used this pretty horrific experience over a period of 30 years to try and create a football club and a community asset that basically one aim is to stop that ever happening again and and there is a ceiling on that they were relegated from the national league premier last year um they are not in the automatic position in the national league south because uh Torquay united having a great season and they're on the way back and and that level is littered with clubs that have basically been at a point in their time managed into the ground or screwed over by someone or something and that just gives you 10 times much joy for it uh, I think it was £400,000 they would make before they won at Ipswich I mean, th that's the difference between them being able to be sustainable for the next 5-10 years and not and obviously we should enjoy this for the moment and, and enjoy it for the FA Cup run in its own context because it's beautiful but it does set them up for the next 10 years and he spoke to supporters before even the third round when they were making serious money out of it. And they were saying, yeah, we we are able to straddle those two things. We're able to, to view this as a beautiful thing in isolation and also realise that this potentially sets us up to do the same thing. It potentially sets us up to try and get in the Football League in the next five, six years. So, yeah, all power to them. I mean, it, it is a story without, you know, without a downside. Who have they got in the fifth round? Well, I was, I was literally just going to say this. They've got Coventry or... Sheffield Wednesday away, right. which is they, they deserve better than that. Yeah, they were disappointed they? when they got they were there. disappointed, yeah, yeah. rightly so. You know, just a, a big Premier League team away, or just anyone at home to give them a better chance yeah. to get mm. through. And yeah. um, we've got to shout out Lamar Reynolds for that goal. <laughs> it was I instantly thought. Do you remember Ramirez at Barcelona? 
uh, in the Champions League semi-final because they were very under the cosh. But I think Chelsea had two shots, two goals maybe that day. And that was their first sort of shot from nowhere. And But the calmness and composure. Yeah. It was his first goal of the season, you know. He's played 26 games. Yeah. And that's his first goal. It was so cool. Yeah, tremendous. Brazilian goalkeeper Lucas Kovalan as well, by the way. Amazing. He was scoring in the National League playoff, what, three years ago? I mean, he had a good performance as well. And that emotion, everything that you guys are transmitting about Mason just uh, proves. But yeah, I wish in the next round mm. they had been playing at home. I think that would end be End of February. We'll, we'll see in the next week or two who they're going to be facing. But yeah, end of February, next chapter in this extraordinary story. The other big potential underdog tale of the weekend was Newport County uh, welcoming Manchester United and Daniel Storey to Rodney Parade. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, you, you went along. Were well, you stood on the scaffolding? Where did you actually? There was a. It was an interesting scenario for this match. Yeah, it was. It, uh, the the press box is, a, is is. I mean, it's literally three or four wooden desks. So we were sort of spread along the back of the stand, sitting next to Newport supporters, um, mainly families. I think it was a kind of ticketed section rather than season ticket. But you were very much in amongst it, and it was a uh, yeah. It, it, it was almost a better cup tie for Manchester United taking the lead because it really deflated Rodney Parade. They'd had this kind of whipped up this massive storm before the game. They are another club who went bankrupt, um, were expelled from the league. This week, they've just got a new takeover. They were owned by the Supporters Trust and, and the money was was basically running out. It was it was impossible to find sustainability. They've just been taken over by Hugh Jenkins who oversaw Swansea's rise from you know, the lower reaches of the Football League Ooh. up to the Premier League. So there was already the sense of occasion and this kind of start of a new era feel. And they were being whipped up before the game and then then obviously United scored two really, really good goals. Basically mirror images of the other, overloading on the flanks, laying the ball back into the penalty area and someone slashing home a shot. And then, yeah, Manchester United, Manchester United, really. They, they just completely lost all energy, lost all intensity. Newport, I don't actually think, played particularly well. But... They just did enough to keep themselves in the game. And at 2-2, there was a period of about 10 minutes where I think 90% of the people in the ground thought, Newport are going to win this if they carry on. Um, and yeah, there was no grandstand finish. United were all over them for the last 15 minutes. Scored once. Anthony got his goal. Well done. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then they sort of finished the game off in, in injury time again, just as you wanted that last push. But it was a really, it was a brilliant, brilliant cup tie. All right. Disappointment for the exiles then. A, a term which could soon be applying to uh, Marcus Rashford in that Man United squad, if the Sancho precedent is anything to go by. Remarkable events last week where Rashford was twice depicted out celebrated with one of his former teammates in Northern Ireland. Late on Thursday night in a Belfast nightclub, Friday morning, doesn't turn up for training, says that he's unwell. Ten Hag saying it's an internal matter and he'll deal with it. But what's going on there? Yeah, well, you know, we, we've all been there. Thursday's the new Friday. Um, <laughs> but he's a bit more high profile than we are. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not good. It's not the first time that, that there's been an incident with Rashford no. or a number of players in this Man United squad. But Rashford specifically had an amazing season last time. This time has struggled to find that kind of form. It seems there's a little bit of... Am I reaching to say there's a disaffection there as well? I, 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 I don't think you are. And um, 
it seems like last season was looks like more of a flash in the pan than than ever really, which is such a shame for a player of such of such promise, of such intelligence. That you know, wh- where's his career going? Is there anything in Manchester United that isn't internal right now? That isn't an internal meeting? That isn't an internal issue? That there, because yes, I think Marcus Rashford clearly, if the reports obviously continue to surface and and him being out is not a great look. And as you mentioned, he was great last season. Now it's back and forth. But then when you add the Jaden Sancho situation, how much? Are we now placing, blame's the wrong word, but emphasis on what Eric Ten Hag is doing or maybe not doing? I wonder, is there a cultural, and I know that we'll talk about other managers in, in, later on, but I'm just wondering, like, is the way that he manages an issue? Mm. I guess it's just a blank question because it's, this isn't just about Rashford. It's also about certain things going on internally, mm. as they're saying it, that are perhaps being pointed at the fact that, is Eric Ten Hag, the best man manager out there specifically for United, specifically in this Ineos, Jim Ratcliffe kind of turnover moment. A question they, they may well be uh, asking themselves. Daniel? In Rashford's defence, I went to Lavery's a few months ago in Belfast and it is the greatest sports bar in the world, I think. <laughs> so it is probably one of those places where someone says, look, there is another game on in a minute. Should we stay for a couple more? Um, but then he was ill weeks. after, right? So that's, yeah. it, is that... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's Is a that slight on the food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Well, a story that will no doubt run and run as the Sancho business did uh, before. Man United in the fifth round, having conquered Rodney Perey, will be travelling to either Bristol City or Nottingham Forest after their nil-nil draw. Daniel, can you sum that up for us in a word? Uh, yes. Okay, uh, Tim, we've talked about your West Brom Wolves experience. Uh, Wolves will be visiting Brighton next. Home to Brighton. Oh, you're going to be home to Brighton. All right. Brighton looking pretty tasty this weekend. A 5-2 victory at Sheffield United uh, with uh, João Pedro scoring a hat-trick. Woof. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Daniel, yeah. yes. All right. <laughs> Included his ninth and tenth penalties of the season. Good Lord. He has converted more spot kicks than any other player in Europe's top five leagues because such a dangerous player. His name figuring highly among the transfer talk as the window heads towards its conclusion this Thursday night, I think. Yeah. Anyway, Tim, you were just saying we're going to be talking about... Oh, sorry, it was actually you, Lewis. You were saying we've been talking about other, other managers and, of course, we'll be talking about that one, the one who's now... Moving on at the end of the season, next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Liverpool, everybody, Friday morning, Jurgen Klopp announcing that he's stepping down at the club come the end of the season. Caught pretty much everyone by surprise. Two days later, at Anfield, his side hosting Norwich. You'll never walk alone, ringing out Klopp there on the bench, much of the crowd choking back the tears. Just extraordinary scenes. James Pierce of The Athletic was at Anfield, and he joins us now. Uh, James, first of all, uh, you were at Sunday's first appearance of Jürgen since Friday's dramatic announcement. What was the atmosphere like at Anfield? Yeah, incredibly emotional. It was it was a strange one because certainly early on, 
in the afternoon. It was it was pretty sombre. I think everyone I spoke to around the ground was still shell-shocked, really. Still trying to process Friday's news that Klopp would be going at the end of the season. And, and everyone wanted to leave him in absolutely no doubt about where he stands in their affections. I think um, you, know, you could see what it meant to Klopp, the ovation he got when he emerged from the tunnel, um, the fans chanting his name over and over. So, yeah, I think I think there was sadness, but, but also appreciation. And also, I think, a collective feeling of, right, we need to do our bit in terms of ensuring this reign gets the dream finale. Absolutely. Well, they certainly did their bit against Norwich. Kind of a classic Liverpool-Norwich scoreline, 5-2. Any thoughts on the performance of the team? Do you know what? I think in the circumstances, it was very, very professional because I think that was always the fear. I think it was the fear for Klopp and his staff that because of what had happened a couple of days before and all the noise around it and focus on Klopp, that it would be a distraction. And and he is, you know, Klopp said himself on Friday, I honestly believe the best memories are still to come. And he he's desperate to, I know he's spoken to the players about squeezing every last drop out of their their time together. And of course, Norwich at home wasn't the most toughest of tests, but it was a pretty good start in terms of in terms of focus because Liverpool were in control from from start to finish. Um, and again, another another day when the academy products really stepped up and delivered. James McConnell outstanding on his full debut. Connor Bradley, the young Northern Ireland international, just goes from strength to strength at, at right back. And same with Jarrell Kwanzaa at centre half. And it's, I think it was also just a reminder about the wealth of talent that the new manager will inherit in May because you also had a situation where you're bringing on Trent Alexander-Arnold, Dominic Zaboslai and Andy Robertson after their injury break. So the squad is looking very strong. In your excellent piece at theathletic.com, breaking down how this has all come about, you, you, you mentioned that the club has actually known since November. So what are their plans? What, what direction are they taking regarding the new manager? Yeah, it was it was November when Klopp first made the phone call to to Mike Gordon, the FSG president. Um, and then I think the, the the passage of time since then is well, one the owners hoped he might have a change of heart, and then two that that time has been used in terms of data approach, really, with um, with crunching the numbers and seeing who might fit the bill stylistically. So there has been a lot of work going on in the background. Over the last few months, Will Spearman is Liverpool's director of research. Data actually played a big part in Klopp's appointment in 2015. Of course, he was already a household name, but um, you know it was the numbers backed that up. If you want, and they, the numbers also at the time showed that Dortmund had actually the, the underlying numbers were a lot more impressive than than results had been in that difficult last season that Klopp that had had there. So. Um, that will certainly play a part. I think. I think that what what having the news out in the open now does is it means Liverpool are free to contact clubs, agents, possible successors, and and actually work on a shortlist and exactly who they want because that was always the fear. I think from the ownership side of things that they just couldn't do that. They couldn't step up that search whilst it was such a big secret that Klopp would be going at the end of the season because, you know, if the news had leaked out, I think it would have been a really bad look if they were looking around for, for other candidates. And of course, Klopp, you know, his desire, why it was put out there in the public domain last Friday was he wanted it out there on his terms. He wanted to be the one to tell the players and to tell the fans. All right. Well, it's a long process and, of course, an incredibly delicate moment in the, 
in the club's uh, future. But what I really want is a clickbait soundbite about who's going to be the next Liverpool manager. Who have you got, James? <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's you, you probably won't be too surprised to hear the name would be Zabi Alonso, just because I think when you look at the potential candidates, he he ticks a lot of boxes for me. Um, you know, he, he, I know it's still a relatively small body of work at Bayer Leverkusen, but he's done an incredible job there so far. And he's also got that emotional tie with Liverpool. He's a, he was adored by the fans as a player. Of course, he was part of that iconic Champions League winning team in 2005. So, you know, there's there's others in the mix. I'd say De Zerbi commands a bit of respect as well with what he's done at, at Brighton. Um, you know, even I know Liverpool admire what Thomas Frank has done at Brentford. But yeah, as we sit here now, if I was going for one, it would have to be Alonso. All right. And do you, do you get the sense that that's the club's desire too? No, no do you know what? Not from the people I've spoken to so far. I mean, if if it is, they're keeping their cards incredibly close to their chest because, you know, the from the people I've spoken to at various levels, they are adamant that they have a clear mind and they don't have one person at the top of a list that they are about to put a phone call into that they are still doing their due diligence. They're still still doing their homework in terms of who's going to fit the bill stylistically, because I think that's really important, the, the brand of football someone to play. And also being able to handle a job of this magnitude because you know the the scrutiny and pressure and expectation is so different to life at so many other football clubs so um so so no I think I think of course Alonso's CV means that that he will be in the mix but I yeah I don't I certainly wouldn't say at this minute that I think it's some kind of done deal James Pierce there well no question that this is going to be a very hard act for whoever comes after Klopp to follow. Jürgen, I think pretty much most people's, everyone's lifetime is the greatest Liverpool manager that we've seen, no? And not just on the field, Luis. Well, I mean, obviously, when you look at the history of Liverpool Football Club and Paisley and Shankly mm. and Dalglish, you know, he's going to be part of that agenda he's won every domestic competition the champions league final three times won it once of course but i think when we talk about jürgen klopp it's more than the data it's more than the analysis it's more than the trophies i love this sport because it brings something out of you from an emotional perspective from a community driven perspective and I'm not the only one, obviously. And I think that's exactly why Jurgen Klopp got that reception against Norwich and why he will continue to get that reception. Because Jurgen Klopp, the Premier League is better with managers like Jurgen Klopp in it. He cares about the city of Liverpool. He cares about the fans. He cares when moments are tough and when moments are good. And you see it almost every time he interacts with a fan or when he's talking about tough times during COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why he will be missed. So in terms of replacing him, mm. we can talk about tactical similarities and differences from the De Serbis to the Alonsos. But to replicate what he did for Liverpool as a human being, mm. it will never happen. Okay. Funny enough, there were two German managers in this game, and Jurgen Klopp actually <laughs> defeating his... 
his best man, the best man at his wedding. Yeah, is that is that one of the first times that's happened where well, where, where where a manager has defeated his best man? Producer Charlie and probably Daniel, Daniel, you 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 remember this? Producer Charlie citing the the analogous situation in the '99 League One playoff final, Man City against Gilliam, and the man who essentially saved Man City in that game with the key goal, Paul Dickov. Scored it against the Gillingham keeper, Vince Bartram, who was actually best man at Dickov's wedding. Well, it's not over till the final whistle, and City here looking for an opening. It's Dickov again! Can you believe it? Denied once by his best man, but this time Dickov comes out on top. Just remarkable. Just remarkable. I think that's the big story. The best man derby. <laughs> yeah, the best man derby. So... Uh, Tim, Daniel, your your take on this? What what do we think about the impact on Liverpool for the rest of this season? Also, the impact on current players there and potential or players who might have been potentially Liverpool assets. Uh, I think that the fact that the players invest so much in him and get so much from him and embody him means that it's going to be one very emotional. Uh, and two, I, I think that will that will help them. You know, they rely so much on. Energy and momentum, we've seen that time and again. I, I, I can see them winning at least a couple of trophies now. And I, I think that, that'll be great for Klopp's legacy because he hasn't, hasn't won enough trophies. Obviously, Man City are the reason why. And in any other era of the Premier League, they would have won a lot more. But, you know, in 30 years' time, we'll just see the number of Premier Leagues he won. And if it's just one, that doesn't do justice to what he's sort of created, I think. So... It's going to be a long, slow goodbye, and that's going to be nauseating for a lot of people. And I did see a few tweets yesterday saying they were very grateful for the 34-minute delay in the in the Wolves-West Brom game because it cut down on the on the coverage. So you know, obviously we get that. But I think I think a lot of people, myself included, would be happy to see love to see Klopp win yeah. uh, one more title. All right, a lot of people would have different emotions. Of course, only one Premier League win, but it was the Premier League title. Daniel, I think the line from your piece on this on the eye was he is the man who put Liverpool back on their f- perch yeah he, he, he is and, and that that presents a huge problem or a huge dilemma for Liverpool going forward because in this managerial search they've effectively got two options because this is right they cannot replace the the kind of magnitude of the persona um, and the connection so they they but what what Klopp did is he took over a team who were 10th in the league when Brendan Rodgers was sacked and he built that up. He had a, a mandate to, to to forge all those reconnections and to build something special over a long period of time doing it. Liverpool are a different beast now. Um, they've finished, you know, they've won a title recently, they've won a Champions League recently, they've been in title races. The, the, the huge question is whether they go for another builder and accept that there will be a a drop in performance for one, two, maybe even three years, or whether they feel the club is now in a position because of Klopp that they need a finisher, they need a, a personality manager, they need a, a, a manager who, um, whether it's through tactical acumen or through force of personality, um, is going to finish Liverpool, is going to complete the era that Klopp believes he started and all evidence suggests that's true. That's a huge question because there aren't obvious, you know, there is one obvious manager in Jabby Alonso, but... Let's face it, that's only because Bayer Leverkusen having a really good season and he used to play for Liverpool. That's not because anything else. And if, if you go down the route of, well, it's because he played for Liverpool and therefore there can be a connection there, Lewis is right. Well, that's fine, but you can't replace the connection that Klopp did and trying to do would be, I think, would be a fool's errand. That's a really, really difficult bit. In the, in the back of my mind, when I first heard it, 
my initial reaction, which is probably completely wrong, but my initial reaction was, I wonder if, however this season pans out, if that managerial search is difficult, I wonder if Klopp stays on. It's not unheard of for a dynastical manager in the Premier League, aka Alex Ferguson, to say, look, I think I'm knackered, I think I'm going to leave. And then the club find it very difficult to replace him. And then Ferguson stayed on for a while. I don't know, but I just think it's a really, really, really hard appointment. And, and, And lots of people talking about succession planning and, oh, Liverpool have got months to think about it now. That can be a good thing, but it can also be a really difficult thing because if you decide now that you want Xabi Alonso and then buy Leverkusen stutter over the second half of the season and there's a slightly negative inflection on that mm. and Liverpool have won the league and it's really hard to, to manage that. And yeah, I do not envy them one bit. Yep. Uh, they will have worked out Klopp. You know, they will have talked about the announcement this timing, whether it's because it was leaking or Klopp just wanted the news out there. But they are presented with a really, really difficult situation. Yeah, Fenway Sports Group's biggest conundrum right now is trying to replicate the passion and the euphoria of what club has done and at the same time continue to be competitive. Mm. That is extremely difficult. Xabi Alonso, by nature, I echo everybody's sentiments, does seem like the best fit. But from a tactical perspective, he's actually not. Because Bayer Leverkusen are more patient, they are more possession-centric, and they're more calm on the pitch than any kind of gag present Jurgen Klopp has ever given. So that's one to think about. Then you talk about, you mentioned Thomas Frank, Roberto De Servi, Postecoglou. Now you're bringing that sort of emotive, emotionally driven, in your face. We're going to really solidify that midfield kind of philosophy. But it comes also with obstacles because, again, you're kind of weirdly trying to echo what club did and that's not a good idea so yes i agree with daniel this is a very difficult one of the toughest one of the toughest gigs to try and uh, replace uh but it's a good one because it's a blank it's a blank canvas right oh i think it's toughest shoes to fill ever possibly i mean wow. since, since oh, yeah, yeah, yeah possibly and, we, and we've seen with fergie and wenger how, mm. how difficult it is to when an era ends what do you do do you start again do you go with your assistant and we of course know that that's one thing that's not happening because mm. pep Linders is going to leave mm. to pursue his own managerial career which suggests that he hasn't got a shot of getting the liverpool job which is interesting in itself because that does suggest because Klopp, i think he was of the opinion that that maybe was who should step up. He was that, hoping that was, for it, yeah. yeah. That would be an initial thought that would come to my mind mm. that in terms of the, the, not unique style of play, but distinctive style of play that Liverpool have, it would be in, the easiest way to keep it going would to be with his assistant. Um, you know, we talk about personality that can't be replicated, but in, at least in terms of tactics and style. And that, that would fit fam- very familiarity. much the Liverpool tradition as well. And that, it, 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 it would, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, but obviously that's not a route that they're going to go down, yeah. which, which itself is very interesting. The other thing that has happened with Ferguson and Wenger is that inadvertently rather than deliberately, but there's been a, a, a sacrificial lamb manager, at least one, who has come in and had to deal with a huge amount of noise and difficulties and both very good managers, but neither of them succeeded mm. in, in Emery and, and Moyes. There is an argument, I think, now for almost aiming for that, for saying, let's just have a steadying manager a burner. who isn't going to be here. Well, who isn't going to be here in five years' time, probably not even three years' time, mm. but let's have another look at Xabi Alonso, for example, for a season. Let's have a look at our short list of five. Let's see how they do. Let's m- let them know that we want them in a year's time, in 18 months' time, and see how they get on managing the preparation element of that. It's, it is so, it's so, so much harder than anyone thinks. And I suspect part of the emotion, let's be honest here, is not just because Klopp's leaving, but because Liverpool fans, they get that. They get that this is potentially an era ending not just a manager yeah, thoughts with you Liverpool supporter 
at this difficult time. Uh, of course, Liverpool still in contention for four trophies. The 5-2 win against Norwich means they'll be hosting either Watford or Southampton in the fifth round. Those two teams drawing 1-1 at Vicarage Road on Sunday. Uh, Liverpool also have Chelsea midweek. Midweek in the Premier League. We'll touch on the Premier League midweek games a little bit later on. But uh, Liverpool not the only big club out looking for a replacement manager from June, which may even complicate their search because Xavi, the day after Klopp's announcement, said that he too will be stepping down uh, from the Catalan Giants. Things not working out too well for them at the moment. They've dropped to fourth in La Liga, beaten 5-3 at home to Villarreal uh, at the weekend and some Xavi goals that they conceded there. That's the biggest amount of goals they've conceded in La Liga since the 60s. I, I Really? Believe. Yes, I believe that's wow. how big it was. And it has been a continuous theme with Barcelona, this uh, just conceding so many goals in those top four or five teams in La Liga. I believe they've conceded 29 goals, which is like way more than Real Madrid, still more than Girona as well, who, who are up there amazingly. So, you know, Xavi was like, "Hold my beer, Jurgen Klopp. I'm gonna, hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit now." And it, it it is surprising, and it isn't because there have been reports about some discontent within the dressing room. Perhaps Xavi, who immediately talked to Joan Laporta and the directors right after that loss, uh, told them something that he was already thinking about for for a while now. But when you look at the record of what he has done since he has arrived, 122 matches in charge in all competitions. He's won 75, mm. drew 21, and only lost 26. Mm. So when I think about the Xavi exit, I'm actually thinking about the overall Barcelona plan, which we all know since Messi's departure has just been economically an absolute mess. You know, mm. we haven't heard the terms uh, levers, uh, you know, yeah. as much as we did in the last year. But so, so it's not just about Xavi, this situation. Defensively, they're a mess. They need to figure themselves out. They're relying too much on young players from La Masia. But... This is a castle that needs way more fortitude than just the head coach and the manager. Absolutely. We'll be talking more about Barcelona, the situation there, in and more about Xavi Alonso, actually, after the events of this weekend, post the Jurgen Klopp announcement. Bundesliga leaders uh, by Leverkusen dropping points and uh, allowing Bayern Munich to creep back to just two points behind them. We'll talk more about that with Rafa, with Alvaro, with James and Julian in the Tuesday European Totally Football show. I can assure you that uh, those guys are completely focused on the football this weekend. Uh, next up, we'll touch on one or two more of the FA Cup fourth round results. Apologies, not quite the fullest of roundups because other things, but that's up next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. 
And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Elsewhere in the fourth round of the FA Cup, events kicked off on Thursday with Bournemouth's whopping 5-0 win against Swansea. The Cherries' next start will face Championship leaders Leicester, who swept Birmingham aside 3-0. Friday saw, as you mentioned earlier, Man City scoring their first ever goal at and getting their first win at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A 1-0 almost didn't happen as well. It was late, so late before Nathan Aki finally earned them the win. And they, in the fifth round, will be visiting Luton. After the Hatters beat Everton 2-1 again. There's going to be replays, meanwhile. We mentioned Bristol City and Nottingham Forest. Replay hating Nuno Espirito Santo facing another game for the second round in a row. Same same deal for the Robins as well, actually. Uh, also heading to a replay, Sheffield Wednesday Coventry, who drew 1-1. Chelsea and Villa, who only managed to goalless draw in a pretty uneventful one, Luis. Aside from the 6,000 Villa fans who... Made some noise. Yeah, All right. Very nice. Leeds and Plymouth Argyle, that was 1-1, and so was Watford and Southampton. Mm. Anything you want to touch on from that lot? Luton's uh, thrilling victory at Goodison, perhaps? or I mean, it, it, it sounded like normality returning to Goodison Park. It's very familiar. <laughs> Booze at half and full time. Uh, it's, it's been a good, you know, fortnight or four weeks at least since since we had that. Um, this was also the day I found out that Tim Krull plays for Luton. Yes. Which uh, did, I didn't notice until the uh, Jack Harrison's shot squirmed underneath him and oh, Krull, uh, there yeah. he is. There you go. It's the second 2-1 victory they've had this season at Goodison Park. Their next encounter is going to be at Kenilworth Road and it's going to be in the first week of May. Oh, my word. Currently, these two teams are 17th and 18th, only one point Apart, that game at the uh, first week of May could be oh so significant because who knows what point situations we may have had between now and then with further penalties perhaps heading the Toffees' way. Uh, Daniel, did you want to comment on that or Man City's wonder win at Spurs or literally anything else? Or perhaps, hey, we haven't mentioned Newcastle beating Fulham 2-0 at Craven Cottage. Yeah, just on City. I mean, we... we... We said a couple of months ago when they were creaking after that 1-0 defeat at Villa that, that followed the bizarre 3-0 draw at home to to Spurs and the draws against Liverpool and Chelsea. And at that point, City had fallen to third or in fourth in the league. They have now won seven games in a row. Their next four games are against Burnley, Brentford, Everton and Copenhagen in the Champions League. It does feel like City are hitting that start of a year we're going to show you how silly it was to ever doubt that we'd win at least two competitions, probably more vibe. Um, the, the, the 3-2 win at Newcastle recently was, was, was chaotic, but that's two of the only three goals they've conceded in that seven-game run. They look really solid. They're dominating games. Uh, yeah, it does feel a little bit, oh yes, we've been here before. And Erlen Haaland's coming back. Mm. Oh, mm. uh, Spurs got James Madison back, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, although... Unless they win the Premier League, their trophyless run will extend now to 17 years, Tottenham Hotspur. All right, well, other things are happening and have been happening this weekend. 
like AFCON with midway through the last 16. We'll touch on that with Ivory Coast Bound. Daniel's story next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Away from the FA Cup, what else has been going on in the wide world of football? Asian Cup. Last 16 is currently underway. Had Australia beating Indonesia 4-0 yesterday. And dramatically, Tajikistan beating the United Arab Emirates on penalties. Tim, you're looking at me like you're either wanting to say something or praying I don't ask you about <laughs> no, Tajikistan. Ask me, ask me about Tajikistan. Just, just do it. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> nice. see where we go. No, yeah. um, uh, I wrote a piece on South Korea the other day. They're having Did a you? very interesting yeah. uh, tournament. Uh, conceded six goals in three games. Having a bit of a crisis. Uh, they, they've drawn with Jordan and Malaysia. Mm. And, uh, you know, for a team that's got players from Spurs and Bayern Munich and lots of other a PSG, they should be doing a lot better than that. So, yeah, the eye is on Jurgen Klinsmann, um, who came into the tournament sort of not very popular anyway. Uh, some awful results when he first got appointed and he doesn't live in South Korea, which mm. is not the done thing because their previous managers have all made the move, but instead he sent his assistants to go and watch games in South Korea. So, yeah, they're in trouble. And um, Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. They've got Saudi Arabia, although if, if they had won the group, they would have had Japan because Japan stuttered in their group as mm. well. So as it turns out, they would have had a difficult game either way. But now they face Saudi Arabia. and if beat they, the world champions. They beat the world champions. And then if they do get through that, they probably get Australia in the quarters. Ooh. So they've got a hard run now. Okay. Japan, who a lot of people also had down as you know, strong contenders pre pre-tournament in the last 16 they've had a wobble as well but they're up against Bahrain who you you feel may may not be progressing further in the competition also should say Monday may have already happened by the time you hear this listener the hosts and defending champions Qatar will be facing Palestine who've made the knockout stages for the first time ever amid the appalling events back home now, elsewhere, we've got the final on Monday, the final FA Cup fourth round fixture. That's Wrexham travelling to championship side Blackburn. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a round of Premier League matches. Now, a short time ago, I mentioned Africa Cup of Nations, where we're in the last 16. And Monday night, it's Monday night, isn't it? The That hosts against holders one, Daniel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's Monday evening. Senegal, Ivory Coast wow. at, at eight PM. What a game! UK time and and Ivory Coast time. Um, yeah, it's it's been a a bizarre start to the to the knockout stages. We've had four red cards. Egypt, the only banker at Afcon is that an Egypt knockout tie will go to penalties, and it did go to penalties. It went to the goalkeepers taking penalties because they got to the tenth set and. Egypt had a man sent off, so it was goalkeeper against goalkeeper. Egypt's goalkeeper, it looked an awful penalty, and it was a bad penalty because it missed the target, but it actually hit the bar and then kind of flew into the stand. Um, and then, yeah, DRC go through. And there's a really refreshing feel to the fourth quarter finalists so far. Nigeria, who stuttered early in the groups and then beat Ivory Coast and topped that group. Angola, who are this fascinating story because five of the normal starting 11 play for Petro de Luanda in Angola who were suspended for match fixing in September. So they haven't had much football. Yeah, and then DRC are through. And Guinea won the, the Guinea derby um, by beating Equatorial Guinea. And yeah, just kind of littered with red cards, littered with silliness. The Ang- if, you, if you want to watch the most entertaining 45 minutes of football this weekend, watch the first half of um, Angola-Namibia because 
Angola have a man sent off, the goalkeeper sent off, have Magalhães outside the area. They then take the lead. Then Namibia have a man sent off, and then Angola double their lead with their only two shots of the half, and eventually win three nil. Yeah, they are a really interesting story, but it is refreshing to have those names. Morocco are the only North African team left, and are the favourites. And it is, you know, it is now looking like one of Morocco or Senegal with this kind of group of plucky underdogs plus the the usually underperforming Nigeria who seem to have got their stuff together. All right. You're heading out Tuesday morning by which time that Senegal Ivory Coast game will have taken place. What are you most looking forward to for when you get there, Daniel? Well, I think my first game is going to be the the Nigeria um quarterfinal in Abidjan. I think we're then going to go up to either Yamasukro or Buake for another quarterfinal and then there is a semi-final, third, fourth and final all in Abidjan where we're staying. So I think I should get five games in about 11 days. So not much to go wrong there. Brilliant. All right. Well, it's been an outstanding AFCON so far. Look forward to hearing from you, perhaps, from Le Côte d'Ivoire. Full range of Premier League fixtures, which you'll be missing out on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Is it round 22 of the season? 22? Mm, Feels about that way. Yeah. It's the repeat of the... Early 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repeat of the opening weekend of the season. What happened back then, Lewis? Can you remember? <laughs> yeah. Can you remember? Yes, Aston Villa got demolished. Five they one, did. Yeah. And 5 1 against Newcastle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tyron Minx's injury, obviously. Pau Torres' debut. There was a lot going on, but yes, uh, they were humbled, Villa, definitely, against yeah. uh, Newcastle United. There was. What else happened? Oh, Wolves, you had that oh so controversial game at Old Trafford when uh, Onana came out. And punched. Who was it he punched? Uh, it was Kalajic, I think. Or Dawson. It was a combination of the two. Really? Yeah, he just t- took a few out. Right. Yeah. Okay, that was a, a bad start for another, but he's had a, a, a quiet season since. No other big... Uh, yeah, that's it. And Wolves have had no other VAR issues. So. <laughs> no other VAR issues. <laughs> Daniel, what was your opening day of the season? It's funny to look back and how wrong we were with our opening round takeaways. Yeah, although Forrest defended quite badly and lost at Arsenal, so, Bingo. you know, it's still pointing a turning world and all that. Mm. Well, Nottingham Forest hosting Arsenal this time around, which is a result, which sorry, a fixture which usually goes pretty well for Forrest. Yeah, it was, the, it was the game at the end of last season that confirmed Forrest's survival as well um, and officially won Manchester City the title. Um, so, yeah, same as, please. Yeah, uh, is it? I think it two no three years in a row. Is it that? Yeah, so we, we yes we, we we beat them twice in the FA Cup obviously mm. as, a, as a Championship side. I'm not. It wasn't quite three years in a row, but it's three fixtures in okay. a row at home. Uh, and then yeah, the the one to end last season in which I mean Arsenal were were looking pretty knackered. The league had pretty much gone. It will be a completely different um, situation. Forest have got. I think have got one of their players back from Afcon, um, but still got four or five away so um yes it'll be a test the okay. first one with nuno right as well since the first time that uh, yeah, they'll be playing yeah. this fixture with nuno yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. That's obviously yeah yeah, yeah and, and they they obviously beat manchester united in the league um at home so there is a you know there is a kind of platform there he he, he kind of used the steve cooper playbook to to get that one arsenal will be better than manchester united where i would bet everything you can see behind you <laughs> <laughs> And, and there is a lot. Uh, Tuesday, that game will be taking place also on Tuesday. And most of these games are going to be live on TNT and Discovery+. Plus. Uh, there's Fulham Everton. Everton, who 
disappointed against Luton, but they've got a terrific away record. Only Liverpool and Man City have won more away games than the Toffees this season. The Iwobi uh, Derby, without Iwobi. Oh, yeah, fair. OK. Luton-Brighton. Will it be a third nil-nil in, in a row for the Seagulls in the Premier League after their terrific performance in the Cup? Lucy, you're nodding. You think it will? Probably. Sometimes when Brighton play well midweek and then a few days later they mm. play away, uh, they, they drop off a little bit. Not, not to completely discredit them, but that's usually what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if it was another. And Kenilworth Road, a tough place to go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Tough place to go. Crystal Palace host Sheffield United. <gasps> One win in 10 for Palace, Tim, and pressure building. Yeah, one win in 10, two in 16, and they're five points off the drop. And Sheffield United at home, and then Brighton away on Saturday, the big derby. And yeah, pressure is building. And the longer this goes on, you're kind of like, yeah, this was the wrong decision. And I feel like we could potentially be witnessing the end of... Do you think we could be seeing another Friday announcement stepping down? I wouldn't be surprised. You know, they're obviously, there's growing discontent uh, more in a lack of direction, really. I mean, what they're out the cup, they sort of they'll probably stay up, but they're going nowhere in the league. And the manager's gonna—it's just a case of when he retires, not if. So right. you know, you want to you want to see some belief and some hope and some future, right? And they, I guess they don't. Have kind any. of turnaround that we've seen at Aston Villa, who used to be in those kind of well, at best doldrums, but uh, drama uh, for a, a lot of the, the years you've been following them. Yes, Lewis. Jimbo, but you know, Unai Emery never now. draw scorers, and now we've had two on the trot. So, oh, okay. Uh, well, you got Newcastle on Tuesday. Redemption time, baby. Okay. They've had four defeats in a row in the Premier League, Newcastle. Something's got to give, isn't it, Jim? Now, it should be an interesting fixture, definitely at Villa Park. I I think definitely the boys and Unai Emery will will think back about that opening game of the season and want to rectify a few things, even though both lineups are are very different uh, heading into this one. Unai Emery's side, by the way, following that goalless draw with Chelsea, still yet to concede a goal in 2024. Madness. I mean, it's probably only been like, what, three games? Yeah, it hasn't oh, been okay. that many. Fair enough. But the home record has yep. been amazing. It's still yeah. undefeated since February of last year. Of wow. Course. So, you know, it's still going. Okay. Newcastle, the latest visitors to try their luck. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, Man City Burnley, which says to me there's probably a crazy aggregate score stat. Man City Burnley, do you know this one, Daniel? Uh, it will be loads versus not very many. <laughs> Correct. But this is, yeah. you know, this is basically four months on from... Everybody assuming that Vincent Company was being groomed, um, kind of yeah, groomed into the Manchester City hierarchy, and and this this season he has struggled. Burnley have suddenly started giving up possession and playing without the ball and playing like a relegation struggle, which is a good thing, but not necessarily a Vincent Company thing. And after the Klopp news this weekend, Guardiola certainly intimated that he is not one for walking away just yet. I suspect that gave him a a private celebration but a celebration nonetheless because he has seen off the kind of the other pillar of of Premier League management as it stands and he kind of joked well if if we're relegated because of financial punishments I'm more likely to stay than not but he isn't um he will be very very happy that he gets a kind of what he will see as a sort of chance to have a clear shot on next season okay oh uh producer Charlie has finished counting them uh, last 12 meetings, all been victories for Man City. Aggregate score of 43 goals for Man City and one for the Clarets. Who's, who's, who scored the one? That's the I question. Don't know who's what I wanted to know. Robbie Brady. Robbie Brady. Oh, there you go. There you of go. course. Mm. Spurs take on Brentford on Wednesday. They drew a blank against City, but they do score in the Premier League. 34 matches and counting now in league football. Very good. 
And then there's Liverpool-Chelsea, which Ugh. is good. Well, no. So boring, this really? game. In the league? Well, it's been a draw, like, the last seven times. The last seven, yeah. We're, they, so the well, okay, yeah. this one probably won't be because I, the, the game that I saw uh, Villa at Chelsea for the FA Cup, it was the best I've seen Chelsea play okay. this season under Pochettino. Mm. I think they're, they're beginning to understand... Uh, the tactical acumen that's required by the Argentinian, you know, the high press, time press, and obviously go wide, uh, you know, get Madueke on one side or whoever, Mudrik, and then... So against Liverpool Mm. should be an interesting affair, especially since this is the first Premier League game since Jurgen Klopp's announcement. So there should be some fiery... Some fiery notes. So I'm hoping for a high-scoring game. If it okay. is a draw, it is a draw. Yeah, they were high-scoring a, a week ago with uh, Ben Chilwell's return uh, looking like a, a yeah, key thing for a they're definitely looking better, yeah. But midweek against Villa? Well, I mean, they were better in the first half and then Villa got better as the game developed. Mm. Uh, but it was definitely the best I've seen them play okay. on the pitch. Uh, and they've been undefeated at Stanford Bridge since October. So Is that right? Yeah, in all competitions. So mm. it's not... You know, there are some hidden stats that show that Pochettino is doing something. All they need is one or two more players, Jimbo. He's, <laughs> he has reached a Carabao Cup final in which he will be, to your delight, taking on... Uh, they will be taking on Liverpool. Very good. Anybody want to say anything about Liverpool and Chelsea? Or shall I throw at you the Thursday fixtures, which are Wolves Man United again, and West Ham Bournemouth on what is transfer deadline day? Tim? Yeah, transfer deadline day. Well, there's not much going on, really. It's very no. quiet. Well, maybe. Who's going to loan who? You know, that's the question this week. Not what about exciting. Wolves Man United? Ravengi? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. We're, we're a cup team now, Jimbo. We're Are you? Just, yeah, yeah. We're, con- <laughs> we're concentrating on the cup. <laughs> All right. All right, then. Thursday, by the way, is yep. also Inter Miami's part of their preseason global tour against right. Cristiano Ronaldo's Al Nasser. Yeah, except that this is in Shenzhen. It's uh, it's in Riyadh. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're go. They're not going to China. They're going. This is a global tour that is going all over the place. It started in El Salvador, back to uh, Dallas. Then they're going to Saudi Arabia, which is where this game is played. Okay, right. Then Japan. Japan. And then, Hong- no, sorry, then Hong Kong, then mm. Japan, and then Good to get back that to Miami. cleared up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but this, this, this meeting of, you know, the two potentially greatest ever, is it actually happening? Because I, I thought it was, yeah? Yeah, well, Ronaldo uh, injured himself during uh, Al Nasser's tour in China, meaning right. that that game or those games couldn't happen. There was uproar. Oh, so that was the Shenzhen thing. Yeah, yeah, so Chinese uh, fans, obviously, outside the hotel being pretty mad about it. Uh, right. And Ronaldo had to publicly speak about his apologies for this. So there is a question mark whether he will even play this game. I mean, it's all obviously... You know. It's in Riyadh. They'll play. He'll play as a hologram. <laughs> he'll be on that now right. that I would love to see. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I really should have been more up to speed on that whole story. Could you just say El Salvador again? El Salvador. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, Daniel, are you all packed? Uh, I have a day off tomorrow, so I am having haircut, dentist, lunch out, packing. Put the cat tomorrow. away. The cat needs to be put away. Oh yeah, who's taking care of the cat? Uh, partner. The, the cat you witness is the man of the house for the next two weeks. <laughs> nice. Excellent. We're going to be back, uh, well, Tuesday with the Euro show and then Thursday looking at what's happened so far around the world and especially in those midweek Premier League games. So do join us for that if you would like to uh, for now. Many, many thanks, Louise, for coming in. Thank you, Jimbo. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, James. For being here. And Daniel, bon voyage. Thank I look you. forward to speaking to you uh, from Africa. 
Listener, thank you for being with us and producer Charlie and Liam in the booth. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.